0: Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Jim Suhan of the Star Tribune from U.S. Bank Stadium, where the Minnesota Vikings played the same game they have played, nine consecutive wins, another one-score win. I was looking this up um, after the game, and the Vikings, uh, with the Eagles, are the only teams undefeated in one-score games. The Eagles, though, are 5-0, Vikings almost twice as many one-score wins as the number one seed in the NFC it's an incredible thing that we keep saying they can't keep doing this right and then they keep doing it but Jim here they are they
1: are and uh (laughs) they're almost hard to write about right because you 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 if you write about situational football and victories which are the whole point of this enterprise you give them full credit you give them credit for being clutch you give them credit for being cohesive uh And then you look at the numbers, you go, oh, my God, they've given up about 330 yards passing per game over the last four games, including to Mac Jones, who might get benched, and to Mike White or Zach Wilson or whoever that was out there today, uh, whatever his, uh, his, you know, pseudonym was, I mean, that shouldn't happen. And a Jets receiver was lying in the end zone with a game winning touchdown and somehow let it roll off of his chest. And so we are celebrating Cam Bynum and the secondary instead of saying, How could you give up that many passing yards? Uh, it's, it's weird. It's fun. It's exciting. I don't know what any of it means. I always liked Mike White. Sure. Office space, Davis yeah. and Butthead. Oh, no. Very good. Very, very good comedian.
2: <laughs>
0: heck of a
1: guitarist, too. Yeah.
0: And I was talking to Brian O'Neill after the game, and he said, I, I guess I hope this helps us when the games get close in the playoffs because um, we've had a lot of experience. So this can only steal them, right, for the moments to come.
2: That seems to be the working theory. Uh, Harrison Smith basically said that after the game. He said every one of these games has been playoff-type intensity at the end, and he said that can only pay dividends. I Yeah, I mean, I, they've kind of been through every potential – end-of-game scenario that you could think of. The thing I guess I would say is, and you saw it a little bit towards the end of the half, too, that there is more nuance in clock management, certainly, in some of those spots than we've seen in the past. And you have, I think, a lot more guys that know what to do, at least. Uh, You don't see coverage busts in the red zone. You don't see guys running wide open in the red zone terribly often. We've seen some of that in the past. Uh, Hello, Detroit. Um They have been able to make the plays they've needed at the end, and that's to their credit, especially if you figure there are going to be a lot of these games where scoring three and not seven is a big deal if they turn into 35-31 type games. You'd like to see them be better, though. I mean, Mike White, I think, threw for 260 yards in the second half, and the Jets had 300 and some yards of offense in the second half alone. So you don't want to get in that type of game, and, and they didn't have to be in that type of game. They're up 17-3 to three with the chance to score before the half, the second half kickoff coming their way. They got the, the ball in like the Jets' 43-yard line, get a field goal out of it, and they had 10 yards in the entire third quarter. So that game did not need to be that close, which is the thing that everybody kind of keeps talking about as the big reason why it's hard to take them completely seriously. But here they are, 10-2, and two, really with a, a pretty straight line to the number two seed, a chance for the number one seed, and a pretty inviting schedule the rest of the way after this one.
0: Yeah, and the defense, they they were playing a really good game in the first half. Um, it, it seemed like, I remember at one point, Ben, I turned to you and said after the Vikings went up 17-3 that I thought that was the ball game. And yeah. it's silly me thinking that this Vikings defense would put the clamps down on them because we haven't seen them do that against many teams this year. It's been the Green Bay Packers in week one. They're only double-digit victory this year um, that being half
2: of it against the Bears I mean this felt a lot to me like the Bears game where they got up kind of blew the lead and then a guy named Cam makes the play at the end that's right and then you pointed out at the end that
0: everybody in that secondary has made some kind of game ceiling play at the end
2: yeah here's like the stupidest stat I could come up with to show all of the different ways that they've come up with to win these games Every month this season now, September, October, November, December, they have had a different member of their secondary record a turnover on the final defensive snap of the game to seal it. Josh Metellus, Hail Mary against Detroit. Uh, Cameron Dantzler stripping the ball from Amir Smith-Marset against Chicago in October. Patrick Peterson picking off Josh Allen in Buffalo. And then Cam Bynum today picking off Mike White at the end of the game. So that doesn't even count the Patrick Peterson interception at the end of the game in Miami. I think there's well the double doink in London, um, it's yeah, they've yeah the bill yeah the the bills the Peterson one is in there but then you have the the snap the Josh Allen thing that they had their own version of that today that they had to get out of the one yard line after they stopped the the Jets at the goal line so and that looked like that might have been the end of the game with the goal line stop so they've been tested in just about every way you could be tested doesn't mean it's going to work in the playoffs but they certainly have had the practice at it.
0: And this offense went dormant again. They, they, too, looked like they were going to start well, jumping out to that 17-3 lead. But a reason why the Jets score 12 unanswered to come back is because the Vikings' offense, too, fell apart. What was it, 10 yards in the third quarter?
2: Yeah, on 12 plays, I believe.
0: That's, that's incredible. That's incredible. So how do you trust this offense that's so talented and so capable of, of putting up points, but it seems like there's just stretches of these games where they just go completely silent?
1: And this game might have been a little different in that it looked like the Jets decided we're going to rough up Jefferson, we're going to hold him, we're going to harass him, and we're going to see how if if the trade off is worth it. In other words, we're not going to give him the the shot downfield, although he almost made a great catch on a couple on a throw or two. Uh, so I, I thought that was going to be the theme of the game. Is you know, can a physical defense with good corners? keep Jefferson from making big plays and frankly then you know in the way the NFL works ended up being like the 12th storyline of this day but um I don't know I, I I'm fascinated that this seems to be a really well coached team with a really intelligent coach an intelligent offensive coordinator they start games very well almost all the time they have they play well in the clutch and yet the third quarter when usually you see good teams kind of starting to adapt they don't play well offensively. I don't know what why that is.
2: Well, and we talk about all these close games. You think about how many of them would not have had to be close. This one, New Orleans should not have been close. Chicago should not have been close. Miami probably should not have been that close. They got ahead. I think well, Skylar Thompson got hurt, and then for a while Bridgewater just didn't look like he could do anything. Washington, uh ref
0: tackling Cambina well, pretty much yes. made that one close. <laughs> yes. That's true. Arizona would have been a
2: nine point win
0: had Greg Joseph made an extra point.
2: Yep. <laughs> yep, that would have been a non-one-score victory. The Green Bay one was not close, obviously, but there's a, there are a number of these that they have put themselves in this spot of, and, and this is, always happens in the NFL, right, where you have teams talking about, we were resilient. It's like a lot of the time that you have a team talking about, we were resilient, the the immediate comeback can be, Yeah, but you probably didn't have to be if you had made things easier on yourselves.
0: But somehow they keep making at least one fewer mistake than their opponent because, boy, did the Jets literally bobble this game away.
2: Yeah, they sure did. Braxton Um,
0: Burrios. He should have had the catch there in the end zone where Jordan Hicks did have good defense and might have gotten a hand on that one. Um, But there were times where Tyler Conklin, I think, dropped a fourth down pass, two in a key moment in the second half. Um, he had two drops I think in this game.
1: Also missed Wilson on what should have been an 84-yard touchdown behind Peterson down the right sideline.
0: And then I believe Wilson stepped out of bounds on that 60-yarder could have been a touchdown where I think they had to settle for a field goal they did. on yep. that drive. So there were times where the Jets were just making these little errors too that that again the Vikings like they do just make one fewer mistake um, to, to stay in these games and then end up making the clutch uh, interception at the very end with Cam Bynum. But this offense in general, though, Kirk Cousins, I think, standing in the pocket, it wasn't his best day. It wasn't his most accurate day. But taking as many hits as he did and still finding a way to deliver the ball in some of these moments, I thought that continues to impress when we see guys like Jimmy Garoppolo go down, the inevitable injuries that happen.
2: Somehow Kirk avoids it. He does. Um, I don't know that you want to live that way. No. And especially the two in the – I think it was the third quarter, I suppose, where he gets hit on the throw to Jalen Rager where he throws it down the middle of the field and kinda under underthrows it as a result of getting hit. And the next play, he truck sticks CJ Mosley by lowering his head into that. I you know, I was a little surprised there that somebody didn't the the independent uh neurological consultant didn't stop the game and say, Hey, we need to check those hits. And maybe he didn't show the symptoms that you would have thought could have led to a concussion, but I was kind of wondering that during that drive, like are they going to pull him aside and say we need to check you for a concussion? And regardless of that, none of us are neurologists, and uh, nor, nor do we play one on TV or po- on a podcast for that matter. But you don't want to see him getting hit that much because you just – if you lose him, you don't have anything.
1: I will say that, uh, you know, an uneven game from him – But that throw to Jefferson—that's a big time throw. The one for the touchdown. Yes, as he talked about fourth read. Usually, if you get to your fourth read, you're dumping the ball off to a running back who's standing two yards away to go to have your fourth read be a guy running away from you to the corner of the end zone and put it where he put it. That—that's a heck of a throw, man.
2: Yeah, and a great route from Jefferson too. Just lulling the guy to sleep.
1: I don't know
0: much about football, but why is Jefferson ever your fourth
1: read? Uh, it, he shouldn't <laughs> be. <questioned. laughs> you know, maybe, maybe it was just that that route takes a long time to develop. So sure. you look elsewhere first. But As they, sure. yeah. whatever the circumstances, yeah. that was a big time play on both ends. Yeah, it'd
2: be it'd be interesting to know after he said that. It'd be interesting to go back to O'Connell and be like, how many plays in your playbook ballpark is Justin Jefferson ever less than read number two? Right.
1: Yeah, it, it really shouldn't happen that way. It's fascinating that it did. Yeah, I doubt
2: there are very many that have him that low on the on the totem pole. But maybe, yeah, maybe it was a left to right thing. it would be interesting to go back and watch that. But you're right, heck of a play by him. They've had a lot of big moments in the red zone. When, when they've won these games, they've been really good in the red zone. And they were the better team in the red zone again today.
0: Yeah, they had two rushing touchdowns with Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison getting in there. And that's been – a theme too. When, when they're able to run the ball as effective as they were, at least in the first half, yep. against the Jets, um, they're usually a pretty well balanced offense. And even when Kirk can't throw it, like he really couldn't today until um, some of those plays we're talking about, that helps pace this offense. And Dalvin Cook can have games like he did today where uh, he was ripping off some runs and, and looking a little upset when he went to the sideline after an early series win. I think he had 21, 28 yards, including a 21 yarder. On two carries, and then uh, O'Connell went back to back throws, both incompletions. They had to settle on second and third, uh, second and three, third and three, punt on fourth and three. Cook runs back to the sideline, none too happy, but he ends up helping them obviously win this game. And I think they're going to need to continue to have him playing that way and running that way because when the Patriots bottle him up, that feels like they're even more on that razor thin margin than they were today.
2: Yeah, and they have been. Fairly reluctant to run the ball in the red zone for a lot of the season. I mean, Dalvin Cook has only had I think like a dozen or so red zone carries all year, and that is a obviously a big difference from what we've seen in the past. I mean, certainly it was going to look different than Mike Zimmer, where it's that's the you know that toss play that toss play for them in 2019 especially was pretty automatic down by the goal line. But you also knew that Zimmer was going to tell his coordinators run the ball. So that was going to change regardless of how much they want to run it. But it is always kind of interesting how often they throw it down near the goal line when you have a line that, I guess by my lights, is still built more for run blocking than pass blocking because it's still all guys other than Ed Ingram. These are all guys that Rick Spielman drafted for that scheme. And a lot of those guys, Bradbury, Cleveland, O'Neill, especially, were drafted because they were mobile run blockers first.
0: Well, the offensive line didn't cave in the way that they did in portions of the Dallas game especially, uh, which is good to see that they were able to string back-to-back games that were decent enough against really good defensive fronts. Um, again, the Patriots, the Jets. Uh, it's going to get a little easier against Detroit uh, next week where the Vikings can clinch the NFC North, but that doesn't mean – I don't think any of us are confident that they're going to just waltz in there and, and beat Detroit, who uh, beat Jacksonville pretty convincingly today.
1: I think it's going to be a crazy game. I, I think we're looking at like 35-33, something like that. Uh, I think that the Lions are good enough to take advantage of the secondary. If the Lions get behind, they'll start chucking it. It'll look like, look like it did today. Lions are capable of running the ball. Their defense isn't very good. So it'll be you know if the Vikings actually, I hate the cliche. Oh, we got to play four quarters. We got to play sixty minutes. It actually applies to this team. If this team plays a third quarter, they're going to win by ten or more. If they play another third quarter like this, then it's going to be close.
0: Uh, yeah, Ben. I don't want to necessarily preview. We'll talk about uh, next Sunday on Wednesday's podcast. But in terms of the outlook for the NFC, the Eagles stomp the Titans. The uh, Seahawks win, jump into seventh, the seventh seed right now. The projected uh, team to come here to U.S. Bank Stadium if the Vikings stay in that two spot. Seahawks in the first round of the playoffs in
2: Minneapolis. What, what could, could go wrong? wrong? Could Somebody – who, who is going to make the phone call to Blair Walsh? I already know the answer to that.
0: Yeah, um, but ah, Blair! <laughs> with, Sam, that's it. with San Francisco losing Jimmy Garoppolo for the season, according to Kyle Shanahan, that's a huge blow for their hopes in a matchup the Vikings certainly probably didn't want to see with Garoppolo under center. Uh, But now it's looking like where the Eagles are at. I don't know how they're going to be able to catch them. You brought up at one point during this game, uh, there's some guys that could certainly rest uh, here if they lock up the division next week.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you get locked into that two seed, and they certainly could, especially if they were to end up – I mean, the way they're going to get locked in the two seed, I guess, is if they lose at some point and the Eagles get so far ahead that you're saying they're out of range because they're two games up on everybody for the number three and with Garoppolo being out, the 49ers are currently the three at eight and four, but they're two games behind the Vikings, and you figure they may have a hard time without Garoppolo. So if they end up far enough up but also can't catch Philly, Zadarius Smith, to me, is a guy that you could probably try to rest for a bit because he has not looked like the same pass rusher, and they need to find some pass rush here. They... Had it in a couple key moments. Obviously, D.J. Wanham hits Mike White at the end of the game, but they have not been as consistent pressuring these quarterbacks, and that has hurt them an awful lot here in the last few weeks.
0: Yeah, Dalvin Tomlinson did come back, had two quarterback hits today and helped them in some goal line stands. So that helps their four-man pass rush, but without a healthy Zadarius Smith, you do see them focus on Daniel Hunter in ways that – uh, they really couldn't. Opponents couldn't in the past because uh, they had to focus on Zadarius. Uh, it looked like, too, that Zadarius was coming off on some obvious running situations, yep. Yep. Uh, which is kind of a sign that they're limiting his workload at least a little bit. Um, so at, at this point, the Vikings are looking like they could be at least in that advantageous spot. Maybe we're even a loss, Jim, might be helpful for them. Uh, in terms of forcing them into resting some guys.
1: No, that's true. And and then we'll get into the, you know, it's a debate that's been going on ever since we've had buys in the playoffs. Is the, are you better off being sharp or rested? And I, I think there is a danger. As much as I love the idea of resting players and you would want to rest somebody like Smith who's had his injury problems, boy, you do not want to just kind of coast in toward the playoffs, especially if you're this kind of a team. This team hasn't you – know, they haven't proven anything in terms of postseason re- – avail- postseason viability. Uh, we have no idea if they can, if they can compete with a good playoff team. So I, I, it, it's going to be really interesting. It's it just – I can see, like, resting people in that Bears game. I'm, I think if you start resting people before that, bad things could happen. Yeah, it is – it's going to be interesting to see how
2: they approach it because you, O'Connell was – very adamant about not playing anybody before the start of the regular season. It's a different thing obviously when you're getting ready for the playoffs, trying to be sharp, but you had a division game at home against your rival week 1 and they didn't really feel like we needed to spend a ton of time putting guys on the field in the preseason to be sharp at that point. It, it's a little it's hard to do an apples to apples comparison, but some of these games could get to the point where they basically have the same significance as preseason games. So and obviously what you're resting players for is a lot more important than week one of the regular season. So it'll be very interesting. And obviously a guy that that they weren't able to rest players last year. They had to get on a run, but went through the the run to the Super Bowl last year, has been through it very recently. So it'll be interesting to hear his thoughts if they get into that kind of a scenario as how you as to how you approach it.
0: All right. Anything else we should recap from this game before we bet our audience to do?
1: Uh, you know, I wrote about Cam Bynum, a uh, cool thing. You know, he, he makes the game-clinching interception. He also made the play that led to Harrison Smith's interception, uh, grabbed the Philippine flag and, uh, you know, is trying to direct some uh, some charitable giving toward Philippine and all their uh, natural disasters they have to deal with. But just It was kind of cool to see Cam Bynum make those plays and be that excited about his cause. Uh, so you can check that out tomorrow in the Star Tribune.
0: Yeah, and I didn't think we'd still be talking about him here in December. You know, when the Vikings draft Lewis seen. Yeah. Yep. In the first round, that we'd still be talking about Cam Bynum making big plays for this defense as a starter and as one of the only guys that really doesn't leave the field for them.
2: I don't think he's missed a snap this season. If I'm, as I looked this up this week, I was trying to figure out the percentage of snaps that Dantzler and Tomlinson had played before they got hurt, and my metric for that was looking at Cam Bynum's week-by-week by week snap totals because I looked it up, and I think he has played every single one. So I figured this is an easy benchmark to use as, as I'm trying to figure out percentages.
0: Yeah, he's had some up-and-down moments like everybody in this secondary, but um, certainly has helped them withstand the loss of a first-round pick um, and a second-round pick, too, on IR and Andrew Booth. But this Viking secondary still has plenty of work to do with the guys who are healthy. We will talk to you on Wednesday, previewing Sunday's game at Detroit, where the Vikings can sew up the NFC North on December, or pretty early in December. Until then, please check out all of our work at StarTribune.com.